This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Michelle Trujillo, the author of Start with the Heart, Igniting Hope in Schools Through Social and Emotional Learning. In this inspiring book, educational consultant and former high school principal Michelle Trujillo shows how positive school culture is anchored in social and emotional learning as a way of being. She guides educators to explore their own SEL aptitudes inspire school-wide investment in a philosophy of connection, and offers ample tools, strategies, and solutions for integrating five SEL competencies in schools. Jumpstart conscientious connections in your school community and create a foundation for trust that allows students and educators to feel appreciated, effective, and productive. Michelle Trujillo says her most important life work is in her role as a wife and mom. Her husband, David, and their adult children, Corey and Danny, fill their life with joy. Michelle is also an author, inspirational speaker, and professional learning facilitator. Mrs. T, as she is known to her former students and reading audience, makes a tangible, sustainable, and positive difference through her books, speaking, and workshops. She shares enthusiasm, experience, and applicable takeaways with her audience, while she imparts a philosophy that ignites hope in schools and the workplace. Named Nevada's 2016 Innovative Educator of the Year, Michelle has appeared on television, including Oprah, and radio across the nation as a guest expert. Her keynotes and trainings leave audiences enthused, inspired, deeply touched, and wanting more. Michelle's most recent book, Start With the Heart, Igniting Hope in Schools Through Social and Emotional Learning, was released by Corwin Press in April 2019. Michelle has also written three books for teenagers. Chicken Soup for the Soul presents Teens Talk in Faith, HCI 2012, Teens Talk in Faith, HCI 2001, and Why Can't We Talk? What Teens Would Share If Parents Would Listen, HCI 2000. To learn more about Michelle and her work, please visit IgnitingHopeNow.com. Here is the interview with Michelle Trujillo. In your own words, who is Michelle Trujillo? Michelle Trujillo is a human who uh, is inspired by the love uh, for faith and her family. Um, 
I've never talked about myself in the third person, so that is really interesting. Um, my heart is just full. Uh, my husband and I uh, have worked worked really hard to value our family and everything that we do. And that starts with us really valuing our relationship with each other. And uh, faith has always been a a huge part of who we are as a couple and how we raised our children. And uh, so our relationship um, with God is very important to us. And, And for both of us, that came from our own parents. We we both come from families of faith. And uh, so I guess I would say it's got to start there. So I always said my priorities are my faith and then my relationship with my husband and then our children when you look at the big picture. And then from there, it extends into our immediate family and uh, our, our friendship groups. And so really who I am, I hope, is a human that steps out and all she does uh, with love uh, for for humanity and uh, with opportunities uh, for hope for humanity. But it's very yeah. grounded in my own faith in my own family. Mm, wow, how beautiful. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, start with the heart, igniting hope in schools through social and emotional learning. I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned off record. The first one is, in the title of your book, you've mentioned the word heart. So let me ask you this question. What and where is the heart to you? Mm. When, when I refer to the heart, my ambition is that the reader or that whoever with whom I am connecting would be able to understand that we have to look within ourselves um, from a place of love. So I really uh, associate the heart with a way of being that is foundationally about being open and accepting and loving uh, of others and, and being able to really approach situations and people with an open mind. Wow. Yeah, that sounds wonderful to me. (laughs) What is another word for empathy? Mm. Love is what would immediately come to mind. Uh, You know, empathy is truly uh, making an effort to see things through another's eyes, uh, to step into, you know, classically step into someone else's shoes. But But more than that, it's saying, I'm here, I'm with you, I I might not understand, uh, but I want you to know I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And and so in that, empathy is love. Empathy is not pity. It's not sympathy. It's just saying, hey, I'm here and I'm with you. And when we're able to do that, we're stepping out in love. One of my questions is, what is love? In a way, you are already answering that question. What does it mean to be a human being, Michelle? Mm. You know, I think we just really to be human, to stay human. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Fronte, but he's a song artist who is a social advocate and just um, everything he does comes from a place, I, I believe, of of 
love and of uh, trying to inspire hope in humanity. And so he has a, a mantra, uh, which is to stay human. And I really think that when we look at who we are as humans, we have to understand that we're all here to truly care for one another and to make uh, life better uh, for others. And, and not to say that we don't all fail in that every single day. I can only speak for myself, but I know that, that uh, I, I take practice, uh, you know, every day I have to look at myself and say, you know, what can I do differently tomorrow? And uh, as you know, I spent a majority of my career as a teacher and as a principal in the world of alternative education. And so many of my students had not had success traditionally. They'd perhaps been in trouble at school, been in trouble with the law, uh, just, just had really struggled. And when they came to my high school, they often said, gosh, you know, this is my second chance. This is my, my chance to figure out really who I am and where I'm going. And one of the things that, that my staff and, and I always said to them is we've always got to look at how can we improve. Uh, the adults on this staff, as well as you as students, we all can improve. We can all get better every single day. I love that approach, yeah, this perspective in life. Before I ask you my next warm-up question, let me ask you this one. What is um, alternative education? I never heard about that. Yeah, alternative education is really, uh, it can take different forms. But typically in a school district, uh, if students are expelled from school or mm -hmm. suspended from school or uh, getting in trouble a lot at school, uh, many districts have an alternative program that, that students can either apply for or be uh, sent to. I don't really right. like that word sent, but be sent to. Right. Mine was a bit of a combination uh, in our district. Uh, if students were expelled and were appropriate for our program, willing to really uh, try to improve themselves and, and and get connected, find a way to be successful in school. They were welcome at our school. At the same time, there were other students who became interested in our school because they weren't having success in the traditional setting. Maybe they uh, felt like they weren't accepted or they just weren't connected. And uh, so they, we, we actually, without trying to, ended up having a great number of students who ultimately um, were on a waiting list for our school because they really, we created an environment uh, based on family and based on love and, and really based on, on truly high expectations for students to uh, learn to be personally and academically successful. And so that's what alternative meant, um, you know, from my perspective as a principal. And I love that you included the word love based on love. In your book, you mentioned that love is the foundation. Yeah. In education, sometimes we're, we're afraid to use that word. And uh, I truly believe in research and in data and in, you know, increased rigor academically. But if we don't start with a foundation of love, there's a 
there's a uh, saying in education that kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that's really the place that, that we need to start. I love that too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It goes back to understanding, right? We want to be understood. All of us, we think about children and young people, but I guess that applies to every human being. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What is life to you? What is your understanding of what this is, this experience? That's a really deep question. Uh, to me personally, it, life is about spiritual growth. And so, um, you know, we experience in life uh, joys and celebrations, but also tragedy and trials. And I've got to believe uh, in my heart and with my own personal relationship with God that I'm here yeah. to learn something <laughs> and um, that my God is beside me in that learning and that, you know, that my family, uh, too, is, is learning with me and from me and for me and I'm lear learning with and, and, and from them. And uh, I, I've got to see life that way. It doesn't mean life's easy uh, and it doesn't mean it's all uh, roses by any means, but I, I really believe that we're all here to, to learn something and there's, there's so much joy to be found in that. True. Yeah, when you say something, I can't help but think about love. <laughs> Do you think we are here to learn to love unconditionally? Oh, I think that's definitely, uh, I think that's definitely part of it. And we talk a lot about loving unconditionally. And when we really reflect, um, I think that so often we have conditions that we don't even realize. It's like implicit biases, really, you know, uh, even with our own children, we, we love with all of our heart. My husband often, you know, challenges me to look at, at things that I might say or I might do. And I guess I do the same for him that might seem conditional, even though that's not what I intend or what I want. But we need people in our lives to say, hey, you need to look at this. Are you being conditional? Because, you know, we all do that. We all judge without meaning to. And and so we've got to look at ourselves and, and try to improve. Yeah. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Mm, yes. But again, your word, the journey is is what it's about. Uh, I've never thought deeply uh, probably about that. Do I believe in unconditional self-love? I believe the venture towards that is, um, is a place for growth. And uh, people are always hardest on themselves. And yeah. we used to talk to our students a lot about the fact that you've got to care for and love yourself before you can care for and love other people. Right. And, and so creating healthy habits and, and taking care of ourselves really is, is the best place to start. So my other question about life, what do you think is the opposite of life? I think a, a person's typical answer might be death. That would be the first thing that comes to mind. But depending upon your, your uh, spiritual beliefs, you may feel that death is life um, as, as I do. So, um, the opposite of, 
of life. I, I don't know. Uh, I want to, I want to say a, a stagnant place, uh, a place maybe of, of sadness and, uh, and pessimism and, and, and hate. I don't, I don't know a place where you don't grow. Yeah. I love your answer. <laughs> That resonates. It makes a lot of sense to me. The next question is about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Gosh, as you say that, I guess what I'm thinking is uh, to really be present. And I struggle with this a lot. My husband, again, is my uh, greatest uh, advocate and accountability partner because I go 110 miles an hour all the time. I have so much enthusiasm and so much excitement and And I had so much to share and I get myself involved in so many things. And in doing so, sometimes uh, that traps you a little bit and it gets you yeah. wound up and, and then you begin to lose focus on yeah. the things that are really important. So when I think about freedom, I think about, again, my ever present lessons about being present and really appreciating um what I value most, which is my relationship with God, my relationship with my husband and my children and our parents. And, um, and so to me, I suppose that would be freedom, truly being able to be present to, to love and to find joy in the moment. That's so wonderful advice for all of us, for sure. <laughs> that we tend to get too busy. That's true. So many things. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? Mm. Gosh, yeah, in this time, I have thought so much about that. And I think it comes back to two things that we've already come, you know, spoken about. It comes back to love and it comes back to staying human. Uh, for me, I really believe that this moment uh, with the, the pandemic, with COVID, uh, this moment of increased awareness of systemic racism is really a, a gift in a sense to all of us. Uh, to to be more present, to come from a place of love, to remember that we are all human and uh, that we all deserve to see each other through that lens uh, and step towards each other, um, you know, with love. There's a, there's a yeah. song by Mandisa, uh, and, and she said it's called We All Bleed the Same. You know, and, and she, uh, the part of the song is, you know, if we're going to fight, let's fight for each other. If we're going to shout, let love be the cry. And uh, I don't know if I said it perfectly or in the right order, but I love that mentality. And, and that's the way I would like to see us step forward. Yeah. What is your understanding and idea of peace? Mm. I suppose, again, it comes down to being present. Uh, 
but also being connected with your God. Um, for me, probably the moments where I have truly experienced inner peace, I've been uh, most connected in my relationship with God or in my calling out to God. That's when I've felt the most peace. For me, it's been, you know, a, a Holy Spirit moment um, outside of my, my faith. It is being present with my family, with my husband, and really truly being able to settle in to the moment, um, which as I said, is a challenge for me. So, so when I can do that, I, I truly do feel at peace. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned, I guess, again, the word God. So this is one of my questions here too. What, where, and who is God to you, Michelle? I hesitate because the answer is so big. And to me, God is so big. My first, uh, you know, my first thought is God is love. Uh, as a Christian, you know, I believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, but I also believe as a Christian, uh, you know, that I, I try to live my life based on my own Christianity and and in my own Christianity uh, I am called to love and as one who loves it is not my place to judge another's uh, religion or ways of being spiritually and so you know I continue to to learn um, from from God and I hope to love better um, every day so let's talk about your work. And my first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer? Mm, that was a God thing, for sure. <laughs> uh, my first book really was born in my classroom. I was never one uh, to have this dream of writing or becoming an author. I, I was a health teacher at the time, early in my career, and, and kids would come to me with these you know, traumatic things they had experienced. And, and my first question always was, you know, have you talked to your parents about that? Or you've got to talk to your parents about that. And kids were always so hesitant that there was one day and by, you know, noon, I had been, I had, I had dealt with three very, very serious issues with kids. And, um, you know, one student was pregnant, one student had been at a party and had been raped. And, uh, there was a, another drug-related issue. And so by noon, I threw my lesson plan out the window. I asked kids to get out a piece of paper and just um, think about if they could share anything from their heart, from their own experiences uh, with their parents and know that they wouldn't get in trouble. They could share anything that they wanted yeah. their, their parents to know. What would they share? And they just wrote and I gathered those papers and read them and just knew that it was something uh, that needed to be out there for parents was my original thought. And then ironically, um, this project, I had submitted this proposal for a book um, for parents and it was prior to uh, the Columbine shooting. So right. this is back in you know, 1999, really. Uh, and 
I got a call ultimately af- after Columbine happened. I call. I made some cold calls to some of the publishers I'd submitted to, and the publisher who put out all of the chicken soup for your soul material called me back. And actual editor called me, and I was like, "Is this a joke?" And he said, "You must not have uh, very good friends if you think this is a joke." And I said, "No, but I just didn't experience, you know, expect a phone call. It was really funny." And uh, he said, this is needed in this moment. But he said, mm-hmm. it's actually teenagers who are who are our biggest market right now. So can you can you write this book for teens, which for me was a very natural thing. So the book yeah. was a collection of writings from teens, as well as mm-hmm. uh, my voice uh, and and experience um, that I shared with teens uh, for each chapter. And then what I found is once the book came out, it became a tool for teenagers to use with their parents to open lines of communication. Uh, So that was really exciting. And then that led to a book about faith for teens to, to be able to learn from each other. Um, And then I always knew, and my kids were really young at the time when I wrote the first three books, the the Teens Talk and Faith book turned into a chicken soup book as well. I, I rewrote it for Chicken Soup for the Soul. And yeah. then um, my kids were young, though, and, and through those books, I had some opportunities to do some speaking and traveling. And my husband and I talked about it and just realized that it wasn't the right time for for our kids and where we were as a family. And so I always knew when I retired I would want to serve education by writing again. And and so I was really excited uh, to put out this most recent book for educators. And that's wonderfully written. I just went through the book and everything. So easy to understand because you make these um, sections with summaries and everything so detailed and so organized. I love the way you write and I love the colors too. <laughs> it's colorful inside. Thank you so much. Why did you choose to become a teacher? Mm. Again, that was a, uh, do you know when something's right in front of your face and you don't realize it? Yeah. That's what becoming a teacher was, you know, for me. I was in a sports medicine program in in my undergrad. And uh, just as I was getting, you know, involved in, in some of the classes, I realized that, I just felt like I was on the wrong path. And uh, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, you know, he'd come from a long line of educators. And he said, it just, uh, it seems that teaching is what's natural for you. And it was one of those aha moments of you're absolutely right. And, you know, I'd been in uh, sports medicine. And so I I, uh, switched over to physical education. And and then got into what's called adapted physical education. So when I first started teaching, um, I worked with students who had disabilities um, and and helped them in the realm of physical education to learn skills and and be included in in regular physical education classes as well. Uh, And then that led to a career in health education which led me to alternative education where I ultimately, you know, became a, got my administrative license and became a principal. And just my heart was there, uh, <laughs> has, has been there for the last 25 years. And 
will continue to be there. Yeah. And you've done wonderful. I watched um, one of your videos too on YouTube, the one you sent to me. I love your passion. One of the topics that I have here is physical distancing versus social distancing. So talk to me about these two terms. Yeah, oh, it's so it's so important. I'm so grateful that you asked this question. Thank you. Uh, you know, so often you turn on the news and we're all trying to educate ourselves, but we hear the the term over and over again, social distancing. And I really want to put a plea out there to anybody that's on, uh, you know, that, that has a platform to be able to encourage people to use the term physical distancing. And, and for two reasons, I think, you know, physical distancing helps us and calls us to be more responsible about being compassionate about the health needs of of others. And, you know, we don't know what we don't know about people's immune system or their age. And so it's important that we are all responsible in our, in keeping physical distance, but also because of the need to be physically distant, we have to be even more emotionally and socially connected. So when we use the term social distance, it implies that we can't be socially connected when really we need that more than ever now. Right. And so I, I just I want to make a plea every chance I get to have people really start using that term physical distance so that we can emphasize the, the need for emotional and social connection. It's a work that reminds other educators that they are igniters, you call it igniters of hope. And you outline five ways to ignite hope. So I would like you to talk to me about these five ways to ignite hope. But before that, is there a difference for you between the words hope, faith, and trust? You know, faith and, and hope, I think, are much the same. I see trust as more of an action, and it, it takes faith to step into that intentional act, that choice of trusting another, of developing a, uh, relationships in which trust is honored. And in that, uh, hope is born, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does very much. Yeah, Michelle, thank you for your perspective. Yes. There's also a, a scripture, Hebrews uh I want to say it's one eleven um, or eleven one, as I'm on the spot. You all are going to go look it up now. That uh, it basically says hope is being or faith is being um, sure of what we hope for and and certain of what we cannot see. And so, really, faith and hope um, can be found in the same place. You know. Yeah, yeah, it resonates, right? So, talk to me about the five ways to ignite hope. Yes. Uh, I always, I, well, first of all, let's get back to the fact that uh, educators are igniters of hope. And I think we have to remember uh, or remind ourselves of this because so often educators get caught in this place of feeling like I've got so much on my plate, 
I just don't know if I can do it all. And we have to remember really, you know, why are we here? Why did we choose this in the first place? And so that leads us to that first way to, to ignite hope. And I always talk to educators about the importance of remembering that, uh, we've, we chose this vocation and it really is a vocation, this calling for a reason. And we've got to, to remember that our why the reason that we chose education, it's got to stay in the forefront of all that we do. Um, for me, I always share the story of my sister. Uh, my sister was born with a liver disease and she passed away when um, she was almost 12 and I was almost 11. And, um, you know, school for her was uh, a place that she absolutely loved because she had loyal friends and teachers that encouraged her. And there was so much positive there, but there was also a lot of challenge. And, yeah. uh, you know, she was teased a lot because of her liver disease. Her skin was very jaundiced and, you know, she looked different than other kids. And so when I think about why I do, why I've chosen to work in a realm with students who are against all, you know, up against all odds, really living, living in the reality of adversity. For me, it goes back to my sister and I've always got to keep her. I've always kept her in my heart and in my mind um, throughout my vocation. So I really challenge educators you know, we can be igniters of hope when we remember our why, because our why is what helps us to have meaning and purpose. Simon Sinek uh, wrote a book I'm sure you're well aware of, um, Valerie, yeah. uh, called Start yeah. With Why. And he says we yeah. can, you know, we can know what we need to do. We can even know how to do it. But unless we know our why, it lacks meaning and purpose. And so True. as educators, if we're going to ignite hope, we got to have meaning and purpose, right, in our lives. So that's a, that's a first way to ignite hope. Um the second thing I talk about is believing intentionally. So often our students don't believe in themselves. And so it's up to us as educators to let our students know that we believe in them and to actually tell them why we believe in, believe in them. You know, recognize their strengths, helping them to understand the positive things that we see in them. And, and ultimately then, you know, they, they will believe in themselves. My staff and I used to say to our kids, you know, we'd say, uh, you can do this. And they'd say, no, I, I can't. You don't understand. I've tried before. I've failed. And we would always say, you know, we believe in you. So grab onto our belief until you get there too. And uh, that carried kids sometimes. And ultimately they did get there. But it did take time and being able to acknowledge that we get it. You don't believe right now, but we do. So just grab onto ours, you know. <laughs> and uh, the third way to ignite hope I share with educators is to have a human mind frame. And I really believe that uh, we've got to remember that all of us, our students, as well as our colleagues, we all, you know, carry uh this invisible backpack and, and some of our bags are much heavier than others. Some of us have lighter bags. We have more stability or we have more opportunity uh, based on the, on, on 
the way that we're raised or who we are or, you know, we've talked a lot already about um, uh, the inequities in the system based on race or based on poverty. And so we've got to remember to ask ourselves, what are our students and what are our colleagues carrying in their invisible backpacks? And when we're able to do that, we're able to look beyond behavior and, and see that or look beyond test scores or look beyond uh, the data that's so important, but, but that may not give us the whole picture. And so by having a human mind frame, we ask that question, what are our kids carrying? What are our, our colleagues carrying? And then we're able to see the human behind the behavior or the child behind the test score. And so when we're able to see that, again, we're more able to be igniters of hope. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the third way to ignite hope will not surprise you. And we've already talked about it, so we probably don't need to go into it a lot, but we've got to lead with love. Yeah. So uh, that so many of us as educators have learned Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and and in schools, for some of our kids, um, it's the one place that they know that you know Maslow's foundation of physiological needs of you know having that roof over your head and food in your stomach and um, clothes on your back. For some kids, schools are the one place that they they know that they have that. They're assured that their teachers or their administration is going to make sure that they're they're protected in that way. And Maslow says then the next level is that acceptance, that belonging, that love. So if if in schools kids are assured of that first foundation, then we need to actually make love our foundation um, and start there. And then the fifth way to ignite hope is to build relationships, to really work hard to connect, to be present, to, you know, I used to be a big proponent. This is going to be really interesting in education because I believe in kinesthetic connection in that release of oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin where you, when you reach out to shake someone's hand or to to slap a high five we really need to learn ways to connect emotionally and socially since we can't at this point safely connect physically. And so uh, when we do that, we will really be more able to build relationships and thus you know, be igniters of hope. It's so important because you start with kids. Yeah, a lot of times we adults would take longer for us to unlearn a lot of the things that we have learned. Uh, well, in, in schools, for any educators that are listening, so often we talk about social emotional learning, which is really building those those these skills that we've been talking about, these uh, values maybe and character traits that we're talking about. Uh, we often roll out programs or curriculum for students when really we do need to start with the adults and you I noticed in my book, the last chapter is all about, it starts with us. If we don't know what it is to be self-aware and socially aware, and if we don't know how to build relationships or, or to, you know, manage our emotions in a way that they help us instead of hurting us, um, you know, or if we don't know how to make responsible decisions as adults, how are we to teach our students? Yeah, we need to be the ones as adults yeah, to be connected to ourselves first. Yeah, we've got a model for others. Right. Uh, 
Right. And for our students, our students are amazing. You know, if, if we tell them to do something, it's just like, you know, children with their parents. Um, if, if we're saying you got to do this and they're watching us and our actions don't match our words, they're right. not going to be believers. You know, um, yeah. we've got to match what we're saying as educators so that um, our students can see that it's for real. Yeah, it's not just trying to teach something we don't yet understand. I love that idea because everything goes back to self-knowledge from what I see, self-knowledge, self-awareness, self-love. And there's something else I have here that I would like you to talk to me about. You say in your book, our diversity makes us stronger. Talk to me about that, how differences can make us stronger? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, you know, we all have strengths and actually recognizing our own strengths sometimes is our biggest challenge, but we all have strengths and we all have areas in which we can improve. And so if you think about uh, our different strengths to bring those together, what a gift. And yeah. so whether we're talking about all of our students, we're talking about a group of people as as professionals or colleagues, if we're talking about family members, to be able to look at ourselves and say the things that are different about us, those aren't those aren't negative things. Those can truly be positive things. And, you know, I learned this going back to my sister. My sister looked different. She uh, experienced things that other kids her age didn't have to experience, you know, being in and out of the hospital and drinking medicine and looking different and being teased by others and all those tough things that she went through. Uh, those things I learned from and, and the way that she responded to them as a child, watching her and her ability to, um, use humor and to giggle at herself and at others and, and to uh, love others and respect others, even as a child, uh, act in a way that, that, I don't know, honored people with dignity uh, was amazing. And so we've got to look at, at others, even if they don't look like us, even if they don't talk like us, even if they, us being, you know, you as an individual, me as an individual, and say, what can, what can I learn from that person so that I can be a better person? You know, so that we as yeah. a human race can be better. We have so much to learn from each other. And, you know, I, I just believe that the different or diverse, it's positive. It's yeah. a good yeah. thing. I love this idea of asking questions rather than judging or assuming we know what other people are about or who they are. And this is a practice or um, an understanding of a moment for life. <laughs> that would be great. It's probably both. But if you have an understanding and you don't put it into practice, mm -hmm. then, then I don't know how much it's worth. So I think we have to ask the questions. We have to practice this acceptance of each other. So, uh, and we have to, you know, we look at this, this time that we're in right now with this awareness of systemic inequities in education and systemic racism in society. And there's so many educators, you know, I'm a, 
a white woman who's been in education for a long time. And I've talked a lot about equity because uh, really it's been a, a passion for me forever because of my sister. But we have to ask ourselves, you know, you can talk about it and you can walk it. And I've had to really reflect on my own way of being and my own practices and ask myself, how much have I actually acted on my beliefs? You know, yeah. you, you look at the difference between anti-racism and non-racism. You can be a non-racist and, and, and not believe in racism, but, but you have to ask yourself, and as I've asked myself, what am I doing? How am I acting? How am I stepping forward to call it what it is to listen and to learn more so that I can be a participant in a, a solution for humanity? Wow. I love your wisdom, Michelle. Yeah. Beautiful. I have, I have as you say that, Valerie, all I'm thinking is that, you know, I have so much to learn. I have so much to learn and so many ways to grow and I have amazing um, people in my life that that help to teach me, and um, I think we all need to look at at you know who our teachers are, our parents and our spouses and our children. We can learn so much from our children. I always told my students, I I learn more from them than I think I could ever teach. <laughs> okay. And I love how humble you are too, uh, which is part of wisdom. <laughs> So it goes back to that word. I have a few more questions for you. I call them final questions. Before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Oh, I, you know, I don't think so, but I, I would love to encourage people to pick up the book, especially if you're an educator. Um, you know, really, I wrote Start With the Heart, knowing that teachers, principals, counselors, school social workers, support staff all of us in education, uh, we have so much to do. And now in this virtual world, uh, there are so many uh, new responsibilities that we have to learn and understand. And so I wrote the book so that it's easy to read, so that it is a, uh, a resource to help move through who we are as, as humans um, in whatever role we hold in education and social emotional learning, regardless of whether you're in education or not, uh, the, the skills, the competencies of self-awareness and self-management and relationship skills and social awareness and responsible decision-making, those competencies on which I focus in the book, they are life skills that are going to help all of us. And so, yeah, if you get a chance, it's an easy read. Uh, you can get my book through my publisher, uh, Corwin, or on Amazon. And uh, yeah, check it out because I think it it's helpful in education, certainly, and especially in this moment, but it's also a, a phenomenal resource for life. Yes, and it is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So true. How do you define success? What is to be successful to you? We talk a lot in education about academic success. Uh, and, and so you look at the word success and you think, you know, are, are you improving or what do the numbers say or what does the data say? And, and uh, we can measure how well we do or how much we improve in certain situations. But 
I guess when I really look at, at the heart of what success is, it's, it's have we stepped into a moment where we are bettering ourselves, where we are perhaps our best selves, um, and where we are assuming the best in others. So I think being successful is, is being a, a human, a, a person, a professional who is really looking to be part of solutions, is really looking to bring hope to humanity. Um, when we're able to do that and, and really reflect on our, ourselves and better ourselves, then I think we can call that success. Beautifully said. Yes, a thousand times. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself as of today? You know, I can't assume perhaps that my intentions in a moment um, are being perceived in the way that I intended them to be perceived. Right. And so I really need to step back and sometimes... Um, be a better listener, uh, be silent. You know, I've learned this with my own children, uh, mm -hmm. that sometimes, you know, my husband always said less is more. <laughs> and so, um, it's so true, you know, to yeah. be silent and just be a listener because my intention is always, um, about loving and, and, um, encouraging, uh, but, that doesn't mean that my words or my actions necessarily match that in the way that they're perceived by another person because I'm energetic and enthusiastic and, and very much a person that likes to be in control. I'm very well aware that sometimes that can be perceived as, as something negative instead of positive. So uh, that's probably been the hardest lesson. And it's a lesson I continue to learn every single day. So two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I, I would hope to say uh, no. I would hope to say that, uh, you know, uh, I hope that I live every day uh, understanding that it, it could be my last. Mm -hmm. I think the reality is we all get caught up in the moment of, the busyness of life and we don't live that way. So I would hope to just remind myself that, um, you know, to, to really uh, enjoy the, the moment. My husband, again, always says it's about the journey. And so you got to be present in the moment to enjoy the journey. Yes, true. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now, Michelle? You know, faith, hope, and love. Those are the three things I know about life. I know that for me uh, personally, I've got to be grounded in my faith. And I know that every single day I could grow there um, uh, and, and be more active in pursuing my relationship with God. And when I do that, I know I'm a better wife and a better mom and a better daughter. Um, and so, uh, you know, I need to step out there more as an individual, uh, in my faith. Uh, I know 
that love um, is a sure thing. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean sometimes it's not hard, but I know that when I'm stepping out and trying to come from a place of love, um, I do more good than, than harm. Uh, and I think that sometimes the antithesis maybe of, of love is fear. And so when I'm reacting or responding to a situation, if I can ask, you know, is, where's this coming from? I always want to, to hope uh, that it's coming from a place of love. And uh, when, when faith and love are there, I think that hope is born. And, and hope, again, inspires us to, to reach for more, to be better as humans to each other, to, uh, to bring light and love into, into the lives of others. Beautiful. Thank you so much again for sharing your deep wisdom. I love your presence. Yeah, and I love everything that you are about, that you do, that you represent. Thank you. We need more of this in the world, in this reality. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And I, I would say that the same back to you, uh, your quest to help people to find joy and and to live in a way in which they love themselves is inspiring. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Mm, thanks for asking. Yes, uh, I do have a website, uh, ignitinghopenow.com. And uh, you can go to my website and you can contact me there at michelle at ignitinghopenow. Uh, you can contact me there on the website or you can just send me an email and I would love to connect. I'd love to share, uh, more and I'd love to learn from other people. So please take time to connect. Beautiful. Thank you so much again, Michelle. And more thoughts soon. All right. Thank you, Valeria. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Michelle Trujillo and her work, please visit ignitinghopenow.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>